We thank you, Lord, that we can gather here and with people all over this community and the world to acknowledge your goodness and your faithfulness. You are so, so good. And together we give you thanks and praise. We honor you. We declare that you are King, you are Lord, you are Savior, and you are good. So accept our thanks and accept our praise, for we offer them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I want to come to a phrase called hope falling hopelessly in love in Jesus, but let me come at it just a little bit differently. This is a weekend in which uh, we remember the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. As I was thinking about that this morning, I thought, do I have African-American men who've been mentors to me? And I have three. Uh, one was Dr. King. I think black pastors are incredible preachers. And if I had to live over again, I'd love to be a, a black pastor because I think they can just preach. But I would read the sermons that Dr. King wrote and listen to a few, and he was such a magnificent speaker. So there was a mentor who taught me about preaching. When I was in Central College, one of my professors was Dr. Wilbur Washington. And Dr. Washington, we called him Rev, helped me understand what it was like to grow up as a black man in America in the 30s and 40s. And it was such an eye-opening thing for me to learn about his life and what it was like to live with grace in the midst of a lot of hurt. And then when in the, in the 80s, my mentor, my mentor was my dad, but my second mentor was an African-American man named Melvin James. And I don't mean to be pejorative at all, but uh, I, was, I was six feet six, and Melvin was about five feet eight. But Melvin was a man who carried the presence of Jesus. And so for about a decade, he and I would be in different places and meetings together, and he would he would talk to me about what it meant to be a man who followed after Jesus. And one of the things he said to me way back when, and I thought it was just such an odd sentence, he said to me, Kevin, someday you will fall hopelessly in love with Jesus. And I thought, what's he talking about? You know, it's a man, Jesus, man. I didn't get it. You know what, Melvin was right. As we grow older, as life carries all of its challenges, as we deal with things that we don't understand and can't control, if we're connected to Jesus, I think we become more and more in love with him. Is that fair? And so I want to come at this hopeless love of Jesus by looking at three little paragraphs. Where we want to end up? And as I keep watching Hannah, keep watching what Hannah does. It's really interesting. If you ever watched an artist in a sermon, just watch where things just keep popping up. And if I lose you, I'll run over there and have stand next to her. <laughs> I'm gonna do, I'm gonna end up right here. And if it's possible, near the end of the sermon, uh, teaching time, we're gonna have a chance for um, responses. And this is gonna lead to, do you know anyone in your life who is a leper? who feels she or he is on the outsides and has no people, no place, no friends. Could you write their name, that person's name down here? We're gonna pray over them in the service. Or if you know someone who's paralyzed, paralyzed by sin, we'll invite you, if you wish, near the end of the service to put the names of those persons in that basket and we're gonna pray over them and just pray for the Lord to have an encounter with them and for them. 
So having said that, slides two and three real quickly, Jim, and then go to, to uh, Mark. So what you're going to see again, this is the theme that keeps running through Mark 1 through 8. In Mark's gospel, the temple, the place of holiness, is replaced by Jesus, the person of holiness. So remember last week, the altar, the blood, the ritual, all that has to happen so we can come into God's presence. And Jesus blows that up, and he says he brings the presence, the holiness of God. So the next one I want you to see is that Jesus releases holiness and extends his rule as the servant king. When the voice from heaven comes, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, the quotation comes from Psalm 2-7, Isaiah 42-1. The passage described Jesus as a servant king. But the servant king has a missional heart, and he's always looking to set people free from the forces of evil, from impurity, sickness, sin, and death. Now, I want, this is where the beauty, the beauty of Jesus, I want to elevate that this morning again. But let me push it down one more level now. If you are in Christ and Christo, you are, you are, you've been called into an re- eternal relationship with Jesus, then you and I are invited to be little Christ, to bring, the, to bring this where we go. And that's why I'm saying, do you know someone who feels like she's a leper? Do you know someone who feels, though they're paralyzed by sin? Could you be someone, could you be a little Christ bringing the goodness of King Jesus to someone who longs to be set free? So, having said that, can we look at Mark chapter 1, 35? I'm going to go through three pericopes here. Chapter 1, 35 through 39. Chapter 1, 40 through 45. And then chapter 2, 1 through 12. So I'm going to talk you through each quickly. And then I want to show you a video clip as well. So in chapter, chapter 135, and I'm going to change the text just a little bit. So l- listen as I, as, I, as I read it. Chapter 135, I'm going to give a comment after verse 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, you, Jesus, got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where, he prayed, where you prayed. Let me stop for a second now. The, the sense of the passage is, he really, really, really went off to a place to pray. Now, you're going to see in just a moment, I want to give you a phrase. In the book of Mark, in the, in the gospel of Mark, crowds block people from experiencing Jesus. All through Mark, Jesus constantly has to negotiate crowds because the crowds wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to see the deliverances. They want to be fed, and all those things are good. The king brings that, but they wanted the show. So just as an aside, John chapter 6, what does Jesus say to the people who are just looking for the show? He says, you want to follow after me? you got to eat my flesh. you got to drink my blood. Boom, oh, the whole crowd left something. This guy's a wacko. What I'm trying to get at is you watch the story. Now, Jesus is constantly having to negotiate crowds to get to people, to get to individuals. People who feel like, I'm a leper. I'm paralyzed. And Jesus is looking to touch those people. Now, again, listen to me. We are being invited to be little Christ, like Jesus. So the passage goes on. So he's off praying by himself. Now the disciples are going to scold him. Verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. What are you doing hiding out here? 
And you replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages. How many? Galilee had 250 villages. Jesus went from village to village to village to village, trying to bring what? I can preach there also, and that's why I've come. So you, Jesus, traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Synagogues, teaching, driving out demons. Now, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. A man with leprosy. You have a footnote you see in your NIV Bible. There are 72 designations for leprosy. So what you had in your skin could be all kinds of stuff. So let me just quick, the medicine, the medicine, the priest, the doctors of that day were, were me, was the priest. So you would come to the priest with your skin discoloration, and I would examine your skin discoloration, and I would determine whether or not you had leprosy. There were 72 different kinds of leprosies. I'm, I'm quotation marks here. If you had leprosy, there was a whole protocol you had to follow. If I said you had leprosy, this is what happens to you now, you were excommunicated from people. So you had to be 50 paces from anyone. And if you saw someone coming, you had to yell, unclean, unclean. You had to cover half your mouth. You had to wear old clothes. Your hair was needed just to be just ratted out everywhere. Old clothes. You could not be in a home, so you could not be married. You could not touch your children or grandchildren. You could not be engaged in commerce. You had to live on the fringes of culture, and no one interacted with you. So what happens here? Now remember now, I'm talking about holiness is a person, not a place. What happens now? Verse 40, a man with leprosy came to you, Jesus, and begs you on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And you were indignant. You reached out your hand, and you touched the man. I am willing, you said, be clean. Immediately, leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. So look at the word, cleanse, clean, cleanse, cleansing. Jesus sent him away at once. You sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Why? Because Jesus is saying, if you follow the protocol, Leviticus 13 and 14, you can re-engage in culture. You can move back into your home. You can touch your children. You can hug your spouse. You can be engaged in a job. You go back and do that, verse 45, and instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, you could no longer enter a town openly, but Jesus stayed in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, I've just skipped, spoken some words. Let me give you a rendition of what it looked like to have leprosy in Jesus' day. Notice Jesus' disciples. Notice the leper. Watch Jesus. A clip from The Chosen. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 
please. Please. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. Seek your own honor. Please just do me this one thing. Uh, but what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Uh, uh. Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. <laughs> Not too shabby. Can you imagine when the word got out that Jesus touched a leper and he healed him? Now, let me just tell you, the rabbis taught that when Messiah came, the deaf would hear, the lame would walk, the blind would see, and the dead would be raised. I could not find in antiquity any place where any Jewish holy man healed anyone of leprosy. It was said in that day, if you had leprosy, you were a dead person. Jesus just raised him from the dead. Can you just imagine? Now, do you understand how, how, how radical this is? This is not going to the temple. You bring me your animal. I slit the throat. I throw the blood on the animal. I get the hyssop, and I sprinkle you with blood. And now for a little while, you're clean. 
This is Jesus touching the most unclean person in Israel. Now, here's my question. Next slide, Jim. I think it's six or seven. Do you believe Jesus is willing to cleanse? Ask a question. Is the Lord willing to cleanse me of my leprosy? Do I have something so bad, so dirty, so repulsive, so off-putting that Jesus cannot do it? And I'm gently wanting to say to you, that's not true. There is no sin that any of us have committed, except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which I'll explain later. You have one who loves you immensely, and he wants to bring life to each of us. Do you believe that? Does your leprosy push Jesus away? Or does our leprosy invite Jesus to touch? Then one more question. Who in your life feels like a leper? Would you and I be willing this week to touch one leper? Well, the story goes on. It gets even more interesting. Chapter 2, 1 through 12. I read it relatively quickly, and I want you to look for the word forgive. A few days later, you again entered Capernaum, and the people heard that you had come. They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door, and you preached the word to them. So, so many people are coming. The crowd is immense. Some men came bringing to you a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to you because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above you by digging through it and lowered the man, the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, let's stop. Now, let me just talk to it. So at the last service, someone who had just been to Israel said to me, do you understand what this roof thing would look like? So there would be some probably, basically it's a, it's, it'd be easy to make a huge mess. So Jesus is standing inside a place. There's people everywhere. The scribes are sitting here. And all of a sudden, four guys start. Now, I just want you to think about this. Imagine I'm standing here talking to you. And all of a sudden, the roof, and all of a sudden stuff starts coming down from the roof. Dirt, wood, branches. So Jesus is trying to talk, and all this stuff is falling down. Can you put yourself in that story? And Jesus says what? He looked up, and he saw their what? Their faith. And then he says something. Now look what happens next. Look what he says. He makes the most interesting comment, and I hope you catch how interesting it is. He says then in verse five, sons, your sins are forgiven. Can you just now, think this now. The roof is, everything's falling down. The crowd's full of people. Everyone's waiting for Jesus to do some crazy thing, some wonderful thing. Here comes all this stuff. Here a guy comes down on a stretcher, and Jesus says what? Your sins are forgiven. Let me read something real quick to you. It comes from Dr. David Garland. Modern society, and that society perhaps, tends to take a mechanistic approach to the problem of illness. Like, when a machine malfunctions, we get a mechanic who diagnoses what's wrong, removes or fixes the faulty part. Now, when our physical bodies break down, we expect the doctor to be like the mechanic. And he's supposed to figure out what's wrong. He is supposed to give us some pills. He's supposed to correct what's wrong. And then we're supposed to be normal again. 
But humans are not machines, and a number of factors contribute to our health. The gospel declares that the healing involves relationships with God, other people, with ourselves, and with our environment. One of the things that can destroy our health is the paralyzing weight of sin. It doesn't show up on blood tests or x-rays. It is as powerful as any physical disease. In this story, Jesus is able to restore health because he deals with sin. So I've quoted this before. I think my memory may be a little foggy, but I think in 1980-ish, I read a book by Keith Larson called There's More to Health Than Not Being Sick. And what he did is a part of a study. They went to 3,000 doctors in the state of Washington. And they asked 3,000 doctors by study, small groups, and a survey, what percentage of your patients are physically ill at root? So 3,000 doctors, 10% are physically ill at root. The cause of the illness physically is mental, emotional, spiritual, or relational. And it manifests itself in bodies. So Jesus has this guy coming down, and with authority, he looks somehow into this man, and he says to him, your physical condition is because of the sin in your life. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, wise, I'm going to tell the story now. Next few verses. So in the midst of this crowded space, there are teachers of the law. And they're sitting, they're, they're sitting. Everyone else is standing, they're sitting. And they're watching, see what he says. And Jesus says what? Your sins are forgiven. And they would have just gone crazy, and they do. They say, he's blaspheming. What are they saying? Listen, listen, listen now. So there are a couple, some, couple pastors in here, some SEM students. You look this up. I could not find any place in Jewish scripture literature except one time on the Day of Atonement, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, rope wrapped around his waist, so that if he went into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain, if he was not killed by the holy presence of God and they dragged him out, he could make sacrifices. Then he could offer two goats, he would kill one, put the blood of the dead goat on the second goat, and send it out in the wilderness. And he would say, the sins of Israel are forgiven. That was the only time that a Jewish leader would ever pronounce forgiveness for sins. What did Jesus do? He says, your sins are forgiven. And they went crazy, because why, why? Because right there, Jesus is saying, he's God. Now, if you follow the book of Mark, right here is when they start plotting to kill Jesus. Right here. Because Jesus has said, I am God. Now, today, Mike led us in the prayer of a confession and examine. And we think it's normal that we can confess our sins and we can say to each other, a worship leader, a pastor, anyone can say to us, in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. That was unheard of. So Jesus forgives the man's sins and then what happens? Then he heals the man. Now, let me give you a couple slides real quick here now. Seven, eight, nine. Let's talk about Jesus' assumptions about sin. Sin, sin is the core problem we face. Can I 
Can I have a big umbrella of mercy? COVID is not the big problem the world faces. When we're all dead and gone, there will still be all kinds of illnesses and sicknesses on this planet. Yes? That's just life. But when you die, you're going to go to heaven or to hell. Those are the options. Jesus understands that the core problem we all face is not sickness. It's not demons. It is sin. And Jesus came, chapter 1, verse 1, he is the Son of God, Messiah, to set us free from our sins. So Jesus is looking at everything through the lens of sin. What happens to sin? Now, I don't know, I've got to be, could I have a really big umbrella of mercy? I mean, like gigantic. But how, do, how, do, how does broken relationships, how does uh, sinful choices, decisions affect us? Well, there's a mystery, so I'm going to say something it could be hurtful. I don't mean it to be. But there are cases, noted cases, where people who experience different forms of arthritis are people who have deeply embedded by broken relationships. And so their bodies become this way because with people, they have become this way. So what happens in our relationships, what happens in our spirits, what happens in our minds, what, it affects our bodies. And that, there's not a one-to-one -one correlation. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But who we are with each other affects us. Yes? So that's what Jesus put. So sin is the core problem. Sin needs to be forgiven because of its paralyzing impact on the full person. Last week, Sunday, at the 11 o'clock service, we had a very tender uh, time. People were coming to the front for communion. And a whole number of people commented to me, sent emails Last Sunday was a time in which they experienced for the first time, they believed for the first time that they were loved in spite of a specific sin or sins that they thought totally discredited them. But just coming to the front, receiving communion, they had an experience. They had been paralyzed by sin, and they were set free. I need a really big umbrella of mercy. With permission, Someone who's experienced sexual violation shared with me this week that last week Sunday was the turning point in this person's life. It was a pivotal moment. This person experienced the powerful presence of Jesus saying, that is not who you are. You're not a piece of junk. You're not a seducted, seductress. You're not evil. You're not bad. This person could say, I am a beloved child of God. So sin needs to be forgiven because it can paralyze us. And Jesus takes sin seriously because it cost him his life. Now, next couple slides. Let's talk about this paralyzing stuff a minute. So from these, from these passages, I have to, let me ask us all questions. So here's one. Can we each answer this ourselves? Do I have a faithful friend or friends who will carry me to Jesus? When I am paralyzed, do I have someone who will carry me to Jesus? And then, does someone know you to be a faithful Friend, does someone believe you care for them so much in their loss, their leprosy, their paralyzation, in quotation marks, that you would be willing 
to be the door of heaven for them. Say, Lord, help, help my sister, help my friend. Lord, help. So do you, do you have someone who will carry you to Jesus? But in brokenness, in, in sinfulness, in peril, do, and then flipping it, will you do that to anyone? Uh, Patrick Morley wrote a book 10, 15, 20 years ago, and, he, and I've quoted it before, but the idea is he said, most men, I don't know about women, he's talking to men, he said almost no men have someone they would contact at 2 o'clock in the morning if they were in a terrible situation. Do you have a faithful friend who would be there for you when you need it? And then flipping it. Are you a faithful friend? Next slide, please. Now, this, I'll push a little deeper. So this is for all of us. Is there sin in my life that is causing paralysis? Is there something that I know, I've thought, I've done, or whatever, it's just, it just a marker for me, and I just, it, it does not leave. It's strong, it's painful. Am I willing to name my paralyzing sin and give it to Jesus? So one of the possible responses is just to write down that sin. So I, I don't know, Mike, Mike has taught me this, Mike Redmond has taught me this. I, I don't fully understand it. But there's something about getting your body engaged that does something. So like last week's Sunday, when we walked to the front to communion, walking to the front to communion is different than passing the trays. Is that true? Is that fair? Not for all of us, but just a different exchange in the spirit. Naming paralyzing sin and getting rid of it could be a wonderful gift of healing. Are we willing to name paralyzing sins in our lives. And this is intended. You have one who loves you immensely. He wants to set us free. We're willing to give it. Next slide, please. And then, this question. Could each of us ask, is there anyone in my life who is paralyzed by sin and needs to be touched by Jesus? And how might that happen? Through you. One of our services, we have a, a person, and this is with permission, um, a man who works in the sex industry. And he, he worships with us. It's a hidden life. And when he worships, uh, when he doesn't come to worship, I know um, he's made some bad choices that week. So I don't know how this works. I have a couple people who send me anonymous emails. I don't know how you do anonymous email. I get anonymous emails from this person. And he just sends me a text and just says, email or text, I'm tempted to make bad choices. Would you pray for me? And so I do. And then if he makes bad choices, he feels so much shame doesn't come to worship, he stays, he avoids me, when he sees me, he runs away or hides, drives the other direction. And then I say to him, on the weeks when you traffic your body, on the next Sunday, you need to come to church. You are welcome here. This is a place for sinners. 
This is a hospital for sick people. And we have a Savior who wants to set us free. Amen? That's the gospel. And Mark just shows story after story after story of Jesus touching, healing, freeing, and giving people new life. So we're going to pray for us, and then our worship leaders are going to lead us in some music. And you're welcome to sit. You're welcome to stand. You're welcome to receive communion from elders and deacons. And if you want, you can leave a three-by-five card. At the end of this day, today, I'm going to gather all the cards. I'm going to pour holy water on them. I'm going to consecrate them, and then I'm going to shred them. So if, if this is a day you sense the Lord saying, give me some place of paralysis. Give me a place where you feel leprosy. Or if you know someone the same, you're welcome to participate. Let's pray. Lord, we want to say thank you that you long to set your children free. You're looking for lepers, and you want to cleanse us. You're looking for paralyzed ones, because you want to forgive us. You're longing to heal of sicknesses. You're longing to bless. So we want to say thank you. Thank you. Can we take a moment, if you just sense any quickening from the Lord, how might you respond today? To sing, to kneel, to sit, to write, to take communion. So Lord, we pray that you would release in this room and in our hearts uh, a great spirit of love that we can believe that you, we can trust you. You're not ashamed. You're not put off. You long for us to come. So in whatever ways we choose, we pray that you release the healing power of your Holy Spirit into this room for those who are watching away. Come, Lord Jesus. Come with your healing presence and love. For we pray in your name. Amen.